0: Our Scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And let's read the entirety of the chapter, and we do so in connection with Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Remember that this chapter and those that follow are the instru- represent the instruction that Jesus Christ gave to His disciples the night of the last Passover. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen Him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? shall ask in My name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in My name, I will do it. If ye love Me, keep My commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him he that loveth me he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which ye hear is not mine but the father's which sent me these things have i spoken unto you being yet present with you but the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now I said unto you, ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 18. Lord's Day 18. How dost thou understand these words? He ascended into heaven. That Christ, in the sight of His disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven and that He continues there for our interest until He comes again to judge the quick and the dead. Is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world as He hath promised? Christ is very man and very God. And with respect to His human nature, He is no more on earth. But with respect to His Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, He is at no time absent from us. But if His human nature is not present wherever His Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? Not at all, for since the Godhead is illimitable and omnipresent, it must necessarily follow that the same is beyond the limits of the human nature He assumed, and yet is nevertheless in this human nature and remains personally united to it of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that He is our advocate in the presence of His Father in heaven. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that He, as the Head, will also take us up to Himself, us, His members. Thirdly, that He sends us His Spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and not things on earth. Let not your heart be troubled. That was Jesus' opening words when He spoke to His disciples that night in the upper room after celebrating the last Passover. And those were his opening words because he understood that his disciples needed them because of what was soon to happen. And now, what was about to happen in the immediate future is that Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, condemned, crucified, die, and be buried. And that would leave the disciples completely in shock and feeling as though they had no hope. But as bad as that would be from the disciples' perspective, that's really not what Jesus has in mind when He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Because what He has in view is the fact that after His resurrection, He would then be leaving them for he would ascend up into heaven to return to be with the Father. And it's because of that that he tells his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. Because he understood that for them to hear that he's about to leave them was going to be news they were not ready to hear. So he prepares them at the the very outset of chapter 14 and following. He begins by saying, Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be anxious. You need not be afraid. And that's his word to us this morning as well. Hope, Protestant Reformed Church, let not your heart be troubled. And we too need that Word in light of Christ's ascension. Because it can be that at times we start to think, well, maybe it would have been better if Christ had stayed here with us. Think of how wonderful it would be if we could go and set up a meeting with Jesus Christ and speak face-to-face with Him and think of how great it would be to have Him here directly in our midst to help us. So that for us, the temptation can be to think that Perhaps it would have been better if He had stayed. But over against that thinking, Jesus Christ tells us it's better that I ascend into heaven. And that comes out especially in John 16, verse 7. Later on in the same discourse, Jesus Christ says to His disciples, nevertheless, I tell you, the truth, it is expedient. It's advantageous for you that I go away. And it's in light of that that His Word comes to us and says, congregation, do not be troubled in your heart. Do not be troubled by the fact that Christ is not here according to His human nature, but is instead ascended up into heaven because the truth of Scriptures. is that's better for us. Because there are great advantages for us. It's expedient for us that our Savior, according to His human nature, is now in heaven. And that's the truth that we want to focus on this morning as we consider Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We will use as our theme this morning the expediency, or advantage, of Christ's ascension. First, we'll look at His foretold departure. Second, we'll look at the great advantages for us. And then third, His continued presence. And that is, we'll see how there is a way in which He is still very much with us. The expediency of Christ's ascension. The foretold departure, the great advantages, and the continued presence. When reading John chapter 14, I can only imagine how confused the disciples must have been when they heard Jesus speaking these words. Because multiple times that night He told them, I am about to go away. In fact, He says that no less than five times in this one chapter. Chapter 14, verse 2. He says, at the end, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 4. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Same thing at the end of verse 12. Because I go unto my Father. Verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. And then in verse 28, he reiterates it again. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away. And upon hearing this multiple times, the disciples were no doubt perplexed, confused, and perhaps more than a little troubled. And their confusion comes out from their questions that they keep asking. For example, in, chapter, in verse 5, just their Jesus told them, you know where I'm going and the way to get there, Thomas says, Lord, we know not whither Thou goest, and how can we know the way? He did not understand what Jesus was talking about. They were clueless as to what all of these statements really meant and what Jesus was talking about. And that confusion, no doubt, bred a certain level of worry and anxiety. They were troubled by what Jesus was telling them You're leaving us? That sounds awful. Why would you leave us now and here? The disciples did not understand. But as confused as they were that night, they would have much greater clarity when 43 days later, they actually watched with their own eyes Jesus Go, Jesus ascend into heaven. For the disciples were witnesses of his departure. And that's what we read in Acts chapter 1, for example. In Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, we read this. And when he had spoken these things, while they, the disciples, beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. Now verse 12 tells us that this took place on the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem. And this is now 40 days after His resurrection. And thus 43 days after He told them what was going to happen. They went to the top of this mount. And with their physical eyes, the disciples were able to see Jesus slowly ascend up off the ground and rise higher and higher and higher up into heaven so that they were straining their necks as they looked upward until a cloud intercepted Him, as it were, and received Him out of their sight. And when they finally look back down, there are two men, two angels, who are there to explain what has just taken place. Ye men of Galilee, this Jesus has ascended He's gone up into heaven. And He will stay there until He comes again in like manner. And you wonder how soon the disciples thought back to what Jesus had told them. Did they remember His words immediately after the angel talked to them? was on their way back down the Mount of Olives so that one of them said, hey, do you guys remember what Jesus had told us that last night we were all together? Undoubtedly, this is what He's talking about. Or did it not dawn on them until after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Well, regardless of when they remembered, the Spirit did lead them to remember what Jesus had taught them that last night they were all together so that they connected the dots. When Jesus told us at the last Passover that He was going to go away to His Father, this is clearly the fulfillment. He has departed up into heaven. Now having gone through the biblical evidence of his ascension we need to make very clear what are we talking about here when we are when we speak of Christ's ascension when we speak of Christ's ascension we are talking about the fact that according to his human nature Jesus Christ left this earth and went up into heaven that is there was a real translation of His human body and human soul so that He left this earth and went to another place, namely the place called heaven. That's what we mean. And now there are five truths concerning the ascension that come out in this passage; these passages that we have gone over. First, concerning the ascension, we understand that it was a change in location for our Savior. That's evident from what Jesus told the disciples in John 14, verse 12. Because I go unto My Father, unto My Father that I've taught you to pray, which is in heaven. And that's clear from Acts 1, verse 11 in the instruction of the angels, which said, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you, that is you who are still on this earth, into heaven. So that the point is that Jesus' ascension involved a change in location. He is now in heaven. And by heaven, we mean the dwelling place of God. For the word heaven in Scripture can refer to the air that we breathe, the sky around us. The word heaven can refer to the celestial sphere where the sun, moon, and stars abide. But it can also refer to The very dwelling place of God. And that's clearly what's in view here because Jesus said, I go to My Father. He is in the very presence of God. It was a change in location. And that, according to His human nature, and that's the second thing concerning the ascension, that Jesus ascended according to His human nature. And that's clear because of the fact that the disciples could see with their physical eyes, Jesus' resurrected body and soul ascend up into heaven. So that when we speak of a change of location, we're not talking about a change of location for His divine nature. Remember, Jesus has a human and a divine nature that are united together. But His divine nature did not need to change places because His divine nature is Illimitable. It's omnipresent. The human nature of Christ could not contain the divine nature even before his death, resurrection, and ascension. And so his divine nature always has been and always will be everywhere present. But Jesus' human nature is like ours in that it's confined to one place at one time. And it's a and we're talking about his human nature when we talk about the fact that Jesus. Ascended up into heaven so that his real human body and his real human soul are now in a different place. Third, these passages teach us about Jesus' ascension that he arose, that he ascended, rather, by his own power. And that comes out from how Jesus himself foretold of his departure. For example, in chapter 14, verse 2, He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 4, Whither I go, ye know. And we find this same thing later in the book of John. For example, in John 20, verse 17, I ascend unto My Father. Christ is making very clear that this would be His work. That He Himself would ascend into heaven by His own power. Which makes His ascension very different from ours. We too will be brought to glory. But the key word there is brought. That is, Christ Himself will draw us by His power. He will take us to be with Himself. But in contrast, Jesus Christ, by the power of His Godhead, was able to ascend up into heaven. And that's where he will be for some time. Because that's the fourth truth that comes out in these passages that having ascended into heaven, Jesus will remain there. He will continue there until he comes again. It's clear from Acts 11, verse 1. Or, sorry, 1 verse 11. The angel said, This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, Shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. But implied is he's going to stay there until he comes again. We see that same thing in John 14, verse 3. John 14, verse 3, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. And thus the catechism says what it does, that Christ, in the sight of His disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven, and that He continues there for our interest until He comes again to judge the quick and the dead. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. How long will He be there? Until He comes again. So concerning the ascension, we see that it involved a change in location, and that for Christ's human nature, that Jesus arose, ascended by His own power and that He will remain there until He comes again. And fifth and finally, this passage teaches us that all of this happened exactly as Jesus foretold. You see, we must not miss that Jesus is prophesying in John 14 about what's going to happen sometime in the future. And Christ Himself called explicit attention to this in John 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, ye might believe. He's telling them, I'm able to tell you what's going to happen. And I want you to know and remember that I told you beforehand so that when it happens, You understand, this was the plan all along. And that everything that's taking place is, is happening according to God's eternal decree that He is sovereign over it all. Which makes His Word entirely trustworthy. Not one promise of Christ ever fails. That very briefly is the truth of Christ's ascension as it's taught in Scripture, as and especially in these two passages. But now, having explained the truth of the ascension, we need to consider for a moment the significance of this for Christ Himself. And for Christ Himself, the truth is that this is was a part of His exaltation. For when Jesus Christ came down into this world, by means of the virgin birth, birth, that was the first step in what we call the state of His humiliation. And we refer to it that way because when Jesus took our flesh and blood, He took not only our flesh and blood, but He also took upon Himself our sin, our guilt and the punishment we deserve. And thus, He came under the wrath of God. And in harmony with that, that was His experience all of his life long so that his experience throughout his life was one of suffering, one of humiliation as he was the object of God's wrath. But having paid the debt, having fulfilled all righteousness, there was a change in his legal status before God so that whereas he was guilty on account of our sins, Jesus Christ now stands... is. Declared as righteous, not just in Himself, but as the head and representative of His people. And along with that came a change in His circumstances. A change in His condition so that whereas before there was suffering, there was humiliation, for Christ there is now glory and there is now exaltation. And that began at His resurrection when He was raised from the dead. But that continues now in His ascension up into heaven. It's the next step. It's the next degree of His exaltation, of His glorification. And it is an aspect of His glorification in two main ways. On the one hand, it's the next step in His exaltation because it's a further declaration from God that His saving work was complete and accepted. Because he's now allowed into the presence of God. And we say that in light of the contrast to say Adam, for example. When Adam fell into sin, he was banished from the presence of God. He was expelled from the garden. For a sinner has no right into the very presence of God. He cannot live with God. But now for Christ to ascend up into heaven not as a mere individual but as our head, our representative and to be allowed to enter glory was thus a declaration from God that His saving work truly was finished. That He completed our salvation. That His work was acceptable to God so that we might be accepted of our God. It was a declaration to Jesus Christ. And thus a part of His exaltation. But it's a part of His exaltation on the other hand because this meant for Jesus that He once again could enjoy the glory that He had from all eternity. And we say that, for example, in light of the fact that He keeps on saying, I go to My Father. To live with the Father with whom I live for all eternity. And this is even more explicit in a passage like John 17, verse 5. John 17, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. There was a certain glory that Jesus Christ had before the world was that he voluntarily set aside as it were when He came down into this world and it's when He ascends up into heaven that He once again is able to enjoy that. This was a part of Christ's exaltation. Now, child of God, you are glad for that, right? That our Savior is once again enjoying that glory that He had before the foundation of the world. That ought to be the case. And Jesus Himself teaches us that in John 14, verse 28. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved Me, Ye would rejoice. Because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now there's much to that statement, but a part of that statement is that if we love Jesus Christ, then we are to rejoice. We are to be glad for Him that He is receiving the honor, the glory, and the majesty that He's worthy of. So that even if the ascension had absolutely no value for us, if there there were no advantages, no benefits for us that Christ ascended up into heaven, nevertheless, we are to rejoice in this truth. We are to be happy for our Savior. Because we're talking about the One who is willing to come and to save us to lay down His life on our behalf. And therefore, we want Him to be glorified. We want Him to to enjoy that heavenly life that He enjoyed from all eternity. So that when we understand the significance of this for Christ, that all by itself should thrill our souls. But if that's not enough, then consider that there are great advantages for us too. It's a part of Christ's exaltation, but it's expedient for us. And that brings us to the the second point of the sermon. The advantages for us as His people. Even as Jesus Christ taught us in John 16, verse 7. We read this verse at the outset, but now we read it again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. It's advantageous for you. It's for your benefit that I go away. And the catechism picks up on this and thus says what it does in answer 46, that he continues there, "...for our interest." And then to be more explicit, the whole of question and answer 49 is devoted to the advantages of His ascension for us, so that the question question 49 is of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? And then the answer 49 goes on to list three things. First, the great advantage of His ascension is that He is our advocate in the presence of the Father. Answer 49 says this. First, that He is our advocate in the presence of His Father in heaven. Catechism speaks of Him as our advocate. It's drawing from 1 John 2, verse 1, which says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is one who pleads the cause of another especially in the court of law, an advocate is one who represents another and speaks on his behalf, who takes up his cause. And Scripture itself tells us Christ is our advocate. That He's the one pleading our cause. That He's the one representing us and speaking well on our behalf and specifically with the Father. And noteworthy is that His advocacy is effectual. The Father hears Him. And that's true on the one hand because when Jesus Christ takes up His work as advocate, He's always appealing to His own saving work. Christ points back at His perfect satisfaction of God's justice and He appeals to His Perfect obedience to the law of our God. And it's on that basis that our Father, which is in heaven, hears our advocate when he pleads on our behalf. And that's the main reason his advocacy is effectual. But there's something more to that that's a further guarantee that the Father is going to hear us, hear him. And that's the fact that he's standing there right in his presence. Notice the specific language that the catechism uses when it explains this first advantage. First, that He is our advocate. And you could have just put a period there, but the catechism does not stop there. It adds that He's our advocate in the presence of His Father in heaven. That is, He's standing right there before the very eyes of God so that ever in the presence of the Father is the Lamb that was slain. So that always, Christ's perfect work is being presented to the Father. And because that's true, He will surely hear our Savior who makes intercession on our behalf, who pleads our cause. And does that not underscore the value, the advantage that He left here and went to heaven? We might be tempted to think surely it would have been better if Jesus had stayed here and we could go and appeal directly to Jesus Christ. We could come and stand in His office and and plead our case to Jesus Christ face to face. But that's not what's expedient for us. What's expedient for us is not that I can go and speak face-to-face with Christ according to His human nature, but that Christ according to His human nature is now in heaven and we have an advocate there. So that before the very face of God stands our Savior in His human nature pleading our case, making intercession on our behalf, guaranteeing that our God will hear us and answer us when we go to Him. It's expedient. It's advantageous that Christ left this earth and entered up into heaven. It's because He did that that He can make the beautiful promise that He does in John chapter 14. Verses 13 and 14. Part of His instruction to His disciples was this in verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in My name, that I will do that the father may be glorified in the son if ye ask anything in my name I will do it apart from Christ our mediator and the fact that he is there in heaven we would have no right to go to god in prayer just the opposite if we would ever go to try to go to god in prayer apart from christ we would surely be rejected and really punished for our presumption but because Christ is our mediator, our advocate, because He's there in the very presence of the Father, if we ask anything in His name according to His will, He will surely hear and answer. So the first advantage, the first aspect of the expediency of Christ's ascension is that we have an Advocate in the very presence of His Father. The second advantage is that having ascended into heaven, Jesus is preparing a place for us and He will surely take us to be with Him. That's the instruction of Christ in John 14, verses 2 and 3. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. A mansion that is a dwelling place, an abode to live in with God Himself. And He does that in large part by preparing us, by molding us, shaping us, fitting us for our place in heaven. And Christ has promised that He's going to take us to to be with Him, to live with Him there in heaven. And the Catechism underscores the certainty of this. Question 49 of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven. And the second thing is this. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that He, as the head, will also take up to Himself us, His members. Catechism reminds us of the truth of our union with Christ. That He is our head and we are members of His body. And now the point is that because our head has ascended up into heaven, The body is sure to follow. We've been united to Him. And therefore, we will surely be brought to glory. And again, does that not underscore the advantage of Christ's ascension into heaven? Because we might be tempted to think Well, would it not have been better if He stayed here to live with us? So that He lived in our dwelling place? So that He could be here with us on Sunday morning for worship? But now stop and analyze that for a moment. That desire that Christ, rather than ascending into heaven according to His human nature, had stayed with us according to His human nature. Why do we want that? Well, for me, it's because I want Him to take care of all the problems. To address all the needs that arise in the church and in my life. To make everything right. He could do it. He could fix it all. But is that not really a desire that Christ set up an earthly kingdom? That He fixes everything here in this sin-cursed world in the midst of a wicked world that hates Him? Is that really what we want for our Savior? Is that really what we want for ourselves? It's advantageous that Christ ascended into heaven. Stop and think about it. What would you rather have? Would you rather have Christ here according to His human nature living with us Or would you rather have Christ in heaven as the guarantee that we will surely be brought to live with him there? Not in an earthly kingdom, but in the heavenly, in the spiritual kingdom. That's what's better. And thus we see it is better that Christ, according to his human nature, did not remain here, but he ascended up into glory so that we have the certainty. That we too will be brought to that heavenly kingdom. So that we too will be brought to live in that mansion that He's preparing for us. It's expedient. It's advantageous that Christ left us according to His humanity. So the first advantage is that we have an advocate. The second is that He's preparing a place for us and will surely bring us to be with Him. And the third is that He now sends us the Spirit as our Comforter. It's the third thing mentioned in answer 49. Thirdly, these are the last three lines, that He sends us His Spirit as an earnest by whose power we seek the things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God and not things on earth. And the Catechism is clearly drawing from Passages such as John 14, verses 16 and 17. I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not. And while this verse clearly implies a connection between Christ's ascension and the sending of the Comforter, that's made explicit in that passage that we've appealed to a number of times, chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. And now, why specifically? For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send Him unto you. You see, it's as the Ascended Lord that Christ sends unto us the Holy Spirit, this Comforter notice he is another comforter not an altogether different com- comforter someone who is not at all like jesus christ but another in the sense of very much so like unto our comforter jesus christ that is like christ he is a divine person of the trinity one who is almighty And He's another comforter. And the Greek word is one that you've perhaps heard A paraclete. One who comes alongside of us in order to help us. That's a paraclete. One who comes alongside of us in order to help us in our, and the Spirit is our comforter. Our helper rather. And He does that in a number of different ways. That includes the fact that He comforts us so that the King James rendering is a good translation. But it's not limited to that. His help that He gives us when He comes alongside us is not only that He he comforts us, but for example, in chapter 14, verse 26, we read this, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. That's a part of His work, His help that He gives us. He teaches us. He he helps us to remember things. And He does a host of other things for us and in us as our Helper. And now the Helper, the Spirit, is given to us at the direct request of the Son to the Father. That's verse 16. I will pray the Father that is to the Father and He shall give you another Comforter. So that a part of Christ's Advocacy, his intercession is that he prays to the Father, "Give them the Spirit." Now the Father answers that prayer, not by sending the Spirit directly to us, but by giving the Spirit to Christ as His own Spirit. That's a part of what Christ earned by His perfect work. He was given the right to be given the Spirit as His own. In having been given the Spirit, Christ now sends forth the Spirit. He. He sheds abroad the Spirit in our hearts so that we have another Comforter. And again, this underscores the advantage, the expediency of Christ's ascension. Insofar as we are tempted to think it would have been better if He had just stayed here with us, John 16, verse 7 is a direct answer to that when Christ says, If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And now the point there is not that before Christ's ascension, all the saints before that never had the Spirit. That's not the point. But the point is after His ascension, the Spirit is now sent directly from Jesus Christ as the Spirit of Christ and what is more, He's given to the church in greater measure than He was before. And that's what's best for us. This is better than if Christ had stayed. Because if you stop and think about it, this means really we have two comforters. Jesus said, I will give you another comforter. And he did not mean a replacement comforter. I'm going to stop being your comforter and you'll have a new one in my place. But another, also in the sense of in addition to me. Christ is our comforter, but now we have a second comforter. We have one who's in heaven pleading our cause. There, as an advocate in the very presence of our God, there's a comforter in heaven, but there's also a comforter sent from heaven to come to this earth to live and to dwell within us. It's expedient for us. It's advantageous for us that Christ ascended to heaven. Now, as wonderful as this gets, especially this third part that we're sent, given the Spirit as a comforter, really it, it's even better. Because to transition now, the fact that Christ has sent His Spirit as another comforter to live and to dwell within us means that Christ Himself, therefore, continues to be present. With us. That's the fuller truth that comes out here. That by the presence and the power of the Spirit, Christ Himself continues to be with us. And we say that on the basis of Scripture. For it's true that according to His human nature, that is His human body and soul, Christ is in heaven. He's not with us. He's confined to one place. Be yet, He is still with us in another sense. And we say that on the basis of Scripture. For example, John 14, verse 18. This is just after verses 16 and 17. Christ saying, I'm going to send you another comforter. Christ says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He does not reiterate, I will send a comforter to you. But He says, I will come to you. And when you connect it back to verses 16 and 17, the point clearly is that by sending us this comforter, the Spirit of Christ, Christ Himself is coming to us again. That's also the teaching of verse 20. Verse 20 says, At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye and me, and I in you. In what sense is Christ in us? He's in us by the power of His Spirit. And it's on the basis of these passages that the Catechism then teaches what it does in question and answer 47. Is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world as He hath promised? Christ is very man and very God. With respect to His human nature, He is no more on earth. We've established that. But with respect to His Godhead, majesty, grace, and Spirit, He is at no time absent with us. And now when it says Spirit, it really ought to be capitalized. I do not know why it's not capitalized in this edition. Every other translation of the Heidelberg Catechism that I checked, they all capitalize Spirit. Because this is the Spirit of Christ. And the point is that Christ continues to be present by the power of His Spirit. For remember, when He enters up into heaven, the Spirit is given to Christ as His own. And when the Spirit is then sent down upon the church, it's the Spirit of Christ Himself so that by the power of the Spirit, by the work of the Spirit, Christ Himself is with us, in us, still to this day. He continues to be present. And again, does this not underscore the great advantage, the expediency of Christ's ascension? The temptation that we've been addressing this whole sermon is the temptation to think surely it would have been better if Christ had stayed here according to his physical, according to his human nature. Because how wonderful would it be to have Him here in our midst. To be able to speak with Him, to fellowship with Him face to face directly in that way. But have you ever thought about the fact that every Christian the world over would want that? So that if Christ was preaching somewhere this Sunday morning, According to His human nature, every Christian in the world would want to be in that church and there would not be room for everyone in that auditorium or in that sanctuary. And if we wanted to to schedule a meeting with Jesus Christ, we need some counseling or we want Him to come help us with the problems in our church or whatever it may be, well, imagine how hard it is to get on His schedule. Think of the long lines outside of His office door. Of all the people who want to come and speak directly with Jesus Christ. If He had stayed, He would still be limited according to His human nature. He could only be in one place at one time. And thus it's better. Far better that He ascended up into heaven because now by His Spirit, He can be with every one of His people at all times. Christ is limited by His humanity, His human nature, but the Spirit did not and does not assume a human nature. The Spirit is omnipresent. He can be everywhere, and that means He can be in the hearts of every single one of us. And not just every one of us here this morning, but every single child of God the world over. So that Christ is with all of His people the world over. And so it truly is better that 40 days after His resurrection in the eyes of His disciples, Jesus Christ left this earth according to His human nature and entered into eternal glory. Into heaven itself. And now knowing that He is there, think back to what He said at the outset of all this instruction concerning His ascension. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid, child of God. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. On account of the fears, the troubles, the difficulties, the hardships of your life, we might be tempted to think if only He were here in His human body and soul, But I trust that in light of this word this morning, all of us recognize it's far better. It's advantageous for us that Jesus Christ went to be with the Father. Amen. Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. And for the comforting instruction that it gives us. And for the blessed truth that even though Christ's ascension is a part of His exaltation, nevertheless, it is also advantageous for us. Comfort us with this Word. Apply it unto our hearts and hear our prayer for the sake of our Advocate, Jesus Christ. Amen.